They're arguing about who's going to get top billing. Between Lowdump and PBDO? <laughs> you guys mean on on the podcast? You're talking about the, on the cargo talking about the Cargo Bay podcast. <laughs> you're clearly not more important than the hosts. Okay, I'm sorry guys, but you're not getting top billing. He's Brady C. I'm Adam B. Your PBDO, which doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, trust me. PBDO. And Low Dump? I mean, we can't put that name out there. <laughs> I know your mother gave you that name. It's a beautiful name. I apologize. <laughs> the point is, neither one of you are employed by the podcast because we're not making any money. Yeah, we're actually paying the Galactic Star Cruisers to be here, so you can forget about that. <laughs> And as a matter of fact, we need to get in the cargo bay now, PBDO, so if you don't mind, open the door so we can get in and record. We gotta talk about a new hope! Oh boy! Hello, and welcome to the cargo bay. A Star Wars conversation podcast being transmitted to you from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I am Brady C. here with my co-host... Adam B. And on today's pod, we are going to be discussing Star Wars. A new hope. BC, we made it. We made it to the OT. To the first of the OT. The OG Star Wars. Now, A New Hope. Star Wars. Episode 4. A New Hope. Rolls right off the tongue whenever you pitch it to a studio in the 70s, right? <laughs> well, they added, the New Hope was added in, as soon as there was a second theatrical release, right? Like, it was very early that he was like, all right, we got money. Now it's a New Hope. By the way, we're doing more of these, so, yeah. Yeah, because the first one, and I think we'll get into a lot of some of the general shenanigans of the first one as we talk about it was not a slam dunk guarantee that that there was going to be more Star War after this. <laughs> no, there are a lot of good pictures of George looking very stressed out <laughs> through that the entire process. That guy looked like process. It looked like he had the worst time <laughs> making this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, I can't remember what it was I was watching where he was like I went to a doctor and they were like you're going to die of stress. <laughs> <laughs> That's you're, not exactly uh, what it was. You're, George, you, you, you're going to kill yourself doing this. This is insane. You've, you've <laughs> got to stop. Uh, yeah. So, general note, we're going to be spoiling some Star Wars today. So, uh -huh. if you haven't watched it, you should. I'd start with this one, probably. Um, it's a good place to start uh, your Star yeah, Wars journey. Yeah, I think journey. so. Although, VC, I've been surprised. Um, listening to other Star Wars podcasts... A lot of people seem to be uh, bored by this movie, or seem to uh, rank it low in their personal rankings. I see that face you're making, BC. That's the face my heart is making. I thoroughly enjoy this movie. Um, yeah. It, for, for all of the flaws that it has, I love each and every one of them. Um, so, you know, if other, people's, if, that's, if other people want to have that take, that's fine. Um, but... I I love this movie. Uh, I was I was 
struggling with some of my dark side energy when we go to balance the forces, matter of fact. So I had to work some of that up for this. But yeah, I mean, it's it's Star Wars. Yeah, that's uh, you, you alluded to it, BC. We're going to balance the force as we always do, which means we, we will attempt to talk about equal parts good and bad about this movie. Um, and this is one that's going to be a bit of a task to do that, BC. Yeah, I think so. But we're going we're gonna to try anyway. But before we jump into balancing the force, I want to pull up, uh, pull up some data files from way back in 1977, which means... We've got Roger Ebert back. Roger, Roger's back. We 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 missed him when we did uh, Solo and Rogue One. Rest in peace, Roger. We loved having his reviews. The Thumb Man himself. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump into a little bit of Roger Ebert's original Star Wars review from the Chicago Sun Times. Uh, please do. Star Wars is a fairy tale, a fantasy, a legend. Finding its roots in some of the most popular fictions. The golden robot, lion-faced space pilot, and insecure little computer on wheels must have been suggested by the Tin Man, the Cowardly Lion, and the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz. The hardware is from Flash Gordon out of 2001 A Space Odyssey. The chivalry is from Robin Hood. The heroes are from westerns, and the villains are a cross between Nazis and sorcerers. Star Wars taps the pulp fantasies. Buried in our memories, and because it's done so brilliantly, it reactivates old thrills, fears, and exhilarations we thought we'd abandoned when we read our last copy of Amazing Stories. Roger, Roger out here at 77, making sure he's on the right side of history. Roger nailed it. (laughs) Roger Roger slam-dunked this review. (laughs) Knocked it out of the park. He puts it, I think, appropriately... In the canon of cinema at the time, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And he didn't even see the digitized special effects version. <laughs> oh, Roger. Oh, 70s if you only Roger. Knew. <laughs> if you, <laughs> you could only, only anticipate the glory that would be brought by a digital do-back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Humping across the horizon there. Just... It, it changed the way Roger would have seen the movie. Probably for the better. <laughs> So yeah, high praise from Roger. Well done. That's that's why he's a critic's critic. Uh, and I'm gonna pass this next one off to you. This is a new reviewer, still from our paper of record, the New York Times. This is Vincent Canby reviewing Star Wars in the New York Times. That's a great name, BC. Let's it is. see what Canby has to say. Star Wars is the most elaborate, most expensive, most beautiful movie serial ever made. It is both an apotheosis. Theosis, apotheosis. What is that word, Beast? What the? F- I wrote this review. I don't know what it is. What is that word? I believe the word you were trying to say, Vincent, is apotheosis. Apotheosis of Flash Gordon serials and a witty critique that makes associations with a variety of literature that is nothing if not eclectic. Quo vadis. Buck Rogers, Ivanhoe, Superman, The Wizard of Oz, The Gospel According to St. Matthew, The Legend of King Arthur, and The Knights of the Round Table. The way definitely not to approach Star Wars, though, is to expect a film of cosmic implications or to footnote it with so many references that one anticipates it as if it were a literary duty. It's fun and funny. 
I find that last part of that review so amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good reminder, I think, to both us and some more extreme fans out there. This is fun and funny. <laughs> That's a good way to approach this, and I, I, it made me, it made me stop and pause when I read that and go, you know what, Vincent Canby is right. Uh-huh. This is not the gospel, according to George. This is, <laughs> this is a space serial that's fun and funny. I love that review. Yeah, it's a fun and funny movie. Dang it, BC. Do you remember the first time you watched Star Wars? Ooh, not really. I would have been maybe five or six i mean maybe seven so not a lot of like strong memories my my recollection is that i watched star wars on a vhs that was recorded off of the cable recording of star wars it wasn't like a video store rental it was definitely like recorded off like the usa network or something yeah yeah and it was a thing where my parents were like, you should watch this. You are right now the age where you should watch this. And I, I remember the like total sense of falling into the universe as a kid and just being like mystified. What is this? It's the greatest thing that's ever been made and it's made just for me. Does anybody else know about this? Because this is amazing. That was kind of my general sense that I have of the first time that I watched it was just like, awe and wonder and like something that was made just for me that's uh that's exactly how i i felt uh bc i think i admittedly i've been i've been searching deep back to that first viewing i think i might have been a tad bit bored at parts in my first viewing because i was just like what's happening are there going to be more lasers are there going to be more guns Uh, (laughs) as a as a four-year-old boy yeah i was raised in the u.s where are the guns let me see them pew pews (laughs) it is wild to i mean obviously i've seen this movie dozens of times i don't a lot i've seen this movie a lot now and it it never ceases to amaze me that the first like 20 minutes of the movie is just like droids in the desert for the most part you know there's it there's not a lot of like context the thing that I that I think I recall the most from my initial viewing is the is the Obi-Wan Kenobi mind trick of like these are not the droids you're looking for because I remember the sense of like menace cuz like stormtroopers look scary to me uh-huh. and I remember them going into it and it's like he's in trouble and then he just says something and then they're not in trouble and I was like what was that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what amazing thing did that wizard just do? Because they just got to go. Like, that is something that, that definitely sticks with me, is that, that Jedi mind trick thing that happened. Because I was just, I just remember being like, wait, what? I remember asking that question um, on my first viewing, because I just didn't understand at all what had happened. I think I was probably asking a lot of questions. Um, I imagine... <laughs> That's a, such a good, because I, I don't remember if my parents watched it with me. I would imagine they probably did. But I like a, a, any kid who watches anything is going to be asking a bunch of questions. Like if you ever spend time with like a four or five year old. Uh-huh. 
all they do is ask questions um, because they don't understand things and they're trying to learn. But yeah, I can imagine that a part of my viewing experience would have been asking a lot of questions and being like, oh, this is this thing that happens, right? Yeah. Oh, that's a gen- he He tricked him with his mind. It was like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I My parents did watch it with me. Um, while I, I don't remember completely clearly because I was four years old, I remember we we rented the movie because my dad was playing the game Star Wars Rebel Assault on the PC, and I was like, what is this? This is like the coolest, <laughs> these are the coolest looking ships I've ever seen. Um, we had just moved uh, to a new town, and we were at a garage sale, and there was a broken X-Wing toy, and I was just like, this is the thing from that game. Like, this is so cool. And they were like, oh, yeah, well, maybe we'll let you see the movie. And then I watched nothing else for most of my life. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then it was all over after that. I think I watched all of them sort of like in a row. I mean, like, I couldn't say with any certainty. It was like, I watched them all on the same day. But like, I, I saw all three within a certain amount of time. Um, and I remember being like, I want, where are the toys? And my parents were like, we, we're going to have to go to a, a flea market wow. or an antique store to find original toys. And so I remember like it being a thing of one Saturday, like, okay, we're just we're going to go drive around to some flea markets around here and see if we can find any Star Wars toys. Oh, man, that's awesome. I was like, uh, yes, please. And like, I, I remember I got one of the original Luke Skywalkers, who, of course, had the no lightsaber coming out of his arm right so like there was no telescoping lightsaber because that broke out of everyone but it was it was the new hope luke action figure a couple of ewoks i think we found was always looking like my big thing was like i want a millennium falcon which of course they never had anywhere Um, but it's also like you're hunting through flea markets i got loose action figures essentially because this was before like power of the force would have come out and and they had sort of like that resurgence leading up to the special editions so there wasn't a, a, a like a toy line out at the moment at at Walmart or whatever that you could go get. So it was it was it was the fun hunt of like well we'll go to the flea market or we'll, here's a, a local reference for someone we'll go to the Pickles Gap and see what's at the Pickles <laughs> Gap flea market. Good old Pickles Gap. Good I've pickles been there a time or two myself. Yeah, it's nice, huh? Get you some fudge <laughs> while you're out at the. Shout out to Pickles Gap. This episode brought to you by the Pickles Gap. I don't know if they're going to be okay with that. We had the whole low dump thing at the top of the pod. Uh, here's the good news. I don't think they get the internet at Pickles Camp, so it'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, I was I was lucky enough, BC, that after watching the movie, I think after seeing the first one, as we would have rented them, so I know I saw them in a condensed period, but it wouldn't have been on the same day. I don't know if right. it was a few days between each. I know I got in trouble before I saw Return of the Jedi, um, because I was playing Star Wars Dark Forces, a Doom-like, you know, first-person shooter. So I am, again, four years old, going pew, 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 pew. And my mom came in and said, son, you know, you you don't hurt people, right? And I said, yeah, mom, only the bad guys. <laughs> and that was the wrong thing to say, big time. <laughs> so I did live on that cliffhanger at uh, Empires for quite a while before seeing Return of the Jedi. But 
immediately, you know, I could go to Walmart and got the, I remember getting the Micro Machines pack that had a Star Destroyer, an X-Wing, and a little Millennium Falcon. Um, So I was like, yeah, this is great. I'm set. That's pretty dope. Little tiny guys, you know? Yep. Yeah, I had, I don't know when this would have been, this would have been a few years later, but I had the Micro Machine, I don't know if it was a Micro Machine, it's the... The Polly Pocket, but the boy version. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had like a an Ewok and a Stormtrooper. Um, I had the Stormtrooper that is the trash compactor scene from this one. Yeah, yeah. I, I got that for one Christmas, and it was one of those like I didn't ask for it, but I when I opened, I was like, oh, "This is amazing!" <laughs> and I lo- I love that. I also just a quick divergence as we're talking about action figures, and that's as good as time as any to talk about them. I had this set of. I don't know what it was. Gumby bendable Star yeah. Wars action figures. Yeah, I remember those. I've seen those in the package still on eBay occasionally. Yeah, I had, I had those, and this was again like all before like a Power of the Force line would have come out that had like action figures, you know? Yeah. Um. So like, I I was getting by with what I had, but in terms of like actual star wars action figures from when i first saw it there wasn't a lot that was available to me i think that first christmas after i saw them i got the most used toy of my childhood which was like an e11 stormtrooper blaster uh you know it's like all white had like the imperial insignia on it and you could push the trigger as fast as you wanted you know Oh, That's a hot great. toy, baby. It was. And the next Christmas, I did get that big Millennium Falcon uh, micro machines, you know, that folded open and you could do all the stuff. And it was this giant, chunky thing. Good times. Amazing. Great times in life. It was. And and it's all thanks to, to this movie. I mean, we, we could talk about toys and nostalgia for... That's another podcast, I think. Uh-huh. Um, but we've got we've got a task at hand. That's Today, right. We must we must attempt... At the very least, attempt to balance the force for Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Uh, so we're gonna find out the things that are uh, of the light side, the Jedi of this movie. We're gonna look, talk about some of the things that might skew towards the dark side, and hopefully find a nice balance between those two as we talk about Star Wars: A New Hope. So let's start here because I feel like we're gonna have a lot more light side. Let's start with some light side stuff for Star Wars: yeah. A New Hope. <laughs> well, BC, I'll start with a light side point. Uh, this is one of the best films ever made. <laughs> this is a miracle of filmmaking. Um, uh, so many hands involved. Uh, a lot of a lot of talented people. A lot of jerks. A lot of nice folks. All stumbling around to create something that is uh, greater than the sum of its parts. Um, man, just a million people hitting it directly out of the park. So I I totally agree, especially this most recent rewatch too, because like seeing movies that are better made, right? I would say objectively, the the movies that we've watched up to now have been better made. They had more money, they had more time, they could do whatever they want with production. You watch this, and it is a slapdash of like just pieces that are strewn together, and it is a miracle that this movie exists and is the quality that it is but i I don't i don't even want to say it's a miracle it's the talent and dedication of a lot of people and you can definitely see that in this movie um and i think 
we'll be getting into some of the specifics of those people and those things. But yeah, I, I think just the fact that this exists and because it very well could have not, right? Like at a certain yeah, point, yeah. 20th Century Fox could have been like, what are we doing? We're pulling all the funding. This is insane. Have you seen the dailies coming back from this? <laughs> that's got to be the set. That's got to be the wildest thing to have been a producer watching the dailies and just being like, "What have we done? What <laughs> have we done?" Because some of the stuff is is wild, and and which is why I want to go into this point. As both a light side, and I see, I'm looking at our notes here, I see that you can even throw a little dark side on this too. Okay, okay. The editing of this movie stands out so much to me this time, possibly because I'm in the process of editing a short film right now, but but just because the pieces that are there are like, they are held together with an old piece of tape that was taken off of a, another thing and used to like save an entire scene of a movie. Yeah. yeah. We're like, we are just, we, we just barely have the footage to make this work. Yeah. Yeah. Just barely. And the editing, the way that it, it actually is a cohesive thing is again, not a miracle, but the hard work and dedication of, brilliant editing and brilliant editors yeah famously this movie saved by george lucas's ex-wife who yeah. looked at it and said um let me rescue this and turn it into an amazing movie instead of an awful one apparently the first cut is just miserable awful and i believe it i believe it's really bad <laughs> i mean if you go look at some of those deleted scenes uh dear listener if you haven't they're fine yeah but if you but the facts are like, you know, Biggs is right. I'll never get out of here. We don't, we do not need that scene. No. Sorry, Gary Kagan. Great performance, but. Amazing. Tashi Station, cutting room floor. Good call. Yeah. Great call. It's one of those things like, George, I can imagine George would be, would have been pretty precious with some of this stuff. But it takes a great editor to be like, hey man, you've been pretty deep in this. This does not work. So we're going to chop that out. <laughs> yeah, it takes a great partner to be like, listen, dude. Well, <laughs> because I, well, I think it might have been that, that goofy article you sent me last night. Uh, where yeah, it was yeah. like, uh, originally, Luke takes two runs at in, in the trench run. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like and on the second one he gets it. You're like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do, it, do it in one. Yeah. You only have one shot. Yeah, have the other team fail. Have the other team have a failed run, and then yeah, <laughs> and then throw like, them no, at it. Luke's gonna take two runs at this. No, he's gonna take one, and he's gonna blow it up because that's <laughs> the right thing to do. And I'm pretty sure history is going to be on my side. And quick shout out, Marsha Lucas. Thank you. I want to. I, I would yes. like. I think we should give her a name, and it is Marsha Lucas. Um, well done, Marsha, for. Saving the bacon of this all-time <laughs> yeah. great. You, you get an award. This may be the most hotly contested McGregor Award of all time. Yeah. I'm just as a quick preview, by the way. Because this thing is hot. We have <laughs> we have so much to talk about. I'm going to keep my mouth shut for now. So, again, that was technically a dark side for us, BC. Was... Here's how we say this. Editing perfectly balances the force, right? Because the editing is an otherworldly feat. The fact that it's so incredibly necessary 
isn't always helpful for the overall film, but the fact that it works is amazing. Perfect. Why don't you hit another light side on this? All right. Um, this I believe this movie has the most iconic design, uh, visual design work of any movie in history ever. Like Bang, just, check, just... done. The the yes, this is. You can show it's the fact that you can show almost anyone across the planet Earth some of the basic <laughs> designs from this movie, and they would go Star Wars. Lightsaber, Stormtrooper, Vader, X-Wing, Millennium Falcon, Empire, Death Star. Yeah. <laughs> and on and on. Like, yeah, the it the visual language of this movie has become universal, literally universal in a lot of ways, which is I mean, as a as a conceptual artist who worked on this movie, has to be one of the greatest feelings of all time. Oh man, so many so many amazing artists worked on this movie. Um, you know, I think obviously the final look of the movie is mostly guided by Ralph McQuarrie. Um, not to discredit, you know, there's tons of concept artists behind. You know, like for instance, Colin Colin Cantwell, you know, did the initial X-wing design and all kinds of different things. But if you look at those Ralph McQuarrie paintings, it's like wow, they really did just as much as they could honor what he was um you know painting and for the best yeah, yes 100 percent. I, I mean i love going back and looking at ralph mccrory's stuff just because it the, the language of the film is is there and, and george talks a lot about how like i needed someone to visualize this stuff so that we one we could show people what it was that we were talking about yeah but to help to help him define the sense of what it was going to look like too and having a partner like ralph mccrory who's an amazing artist, be the person you say, hey, I need you to, to draw this sort of thing for me, right? And just have someone who can be like, something like this? Yeah. Like the the shot of, not the shot, it well, it turns into a shot essentially, but the painting of of the Millennium Falcon going into the Death Star. Yeah, yeah. That That painting sticks in my mind. And then when you see the shot in the movie, you're like, oh, Macquarie. Yeah, Nailed it, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like that's the that's the McCord, that's is a, what that that's is. The painting exactly transcribed, and and I'll give Lucas some credit for recognizing what was good, and also from what I understand, he's like decent to work with with visual design, you know, where he's like, ah, oh, make it look like a samurai helmet a, a little more or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. All right, cool. I've watched some some of the behind the scenes stuff, and it it does seem like he is a much better producer than a director in terms of being like able to give putting creative people in a space and then giving them you know some direction some idea of what they're what he's looking for but allowing creative people to to essentially be creative and then editing what he needs to edit and giving notes and suggestions and stuff he seems like a really good dude to work with who's gonna push you who's gonna Who's going to get the best out of you, which I think is what a good producer does. His directing struggles are, are noted. But as a producer, and for what he accomplished, he's got to be one of the best producers of cinema of all time, I would, I would imagine. Yeah, hard, hard to argue um, with that. Look at the team. Look at the squad assembled. Look at the team. Look at the cultural impact over generations now at this point you're like yeah someone knew what they were doing even if he was stressing out when he was making this movie um 
I want to go. Uh, we I feel like I feel like we haven't even touched a dark side at this point. So yeah. I just want to I just want to go ahead and get this out of the way. Pull the band aid. Let's do it. Digital tinkering is what I'm calling <laughs> this. Digital tinkering. Um, because I I watched the what was the name of that creature again? The Dubeck. The Dubeck. Yeah. Because uh, there, there's like a 25 minute behind the scenes documentary sort of thing on Disney Plus under like the extras for Star Wars A New Hope where they talk about the Dubeck. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm obviously going to watch I mean, I'm obviously going to watch this. We love because... Low Dump's famous Dubeck stew. Yeah, it's one of my favorite stews. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes, we will take Dubex stew this evening. Thank you, Low Dump. Thanks, Low Dump. You're still not getting top billing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it goes into like wh- why they digitized, why and how they digitized the the Dubex, right? So you watch Star Wars now on Disney Plus, as as I did, and. You see all of the the digital shots that stick out like a sore thumb, right? Because we we we've got the technology. George is a perpetual tinkerer. He he, for all of the good qualities that he has, seems like he wants to micromanage the the crap out of his films. And he sees technology as a way to control the things that he cannot control when he is on a film set. Yeah, and it seems like those are the things that he maybe had a very hard time with on star wars a new hope when he was making it so like being able to go into a computer and speak computer language and have a computer do exactly what he wants or just point at someone and say do this (laughs) yeah it's like just just give me exactly what i'm looking for and we don't have to worry about the setup and the lighting and all that sort of stuff which like yes digital effects have their place it's not here it's not yes. replacing some of like the best visual effects shots ever, which no. is like, I, if you want to insert a bunch of garbage in between things, uh, I'm more okay with that. But when you're taking like that do back scene, for instance, when you're adding on top of, or really like the the greatest sin of this to me is is we have to review this version of the film because this is the version that is available. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the, there's there are X-wing shots, so many X-wing shots that are just scrapped for bad CG. And if you watch the original version, uh, or as close as you can get now, um, those original shots fit the film a million times better. Duh, they do. And it's also more yeah. fun to watch because you're like, wow, look at what they did in 1977. When you watch this, you're like, I'm not even sure which is an original like effect going on at different times, you know? Well, it's like the, the wide establishing shots of like Tatooine, you're like computer, the Dubak computer, Jabba the Hutt, that scene does not need to be in this movie. No. Where no, especially no, no. because like what they did was they digitized a man who was Jabba the Hutt at that point because Jabba the Hutt wasn't a big yeah. space slug at that point. And they're like, "You know what? Would be a fun challenge would be to get Harrison Ford to walk over his tail in this thing." And you watch it's like this is a trash shot. It's trash. And it wasn't it it wasn't beyond my scrutiny as a seven year old watching the special editions in theater. When I saw that scene, I was like, I'm just confused. I I was already like, why is Java smaller? 
what just happened to Han. They just definitely, like, I didn't even know what a digital, like, shift was or what editing was, and I could tell that they had moved him up and over the tail and back down. <laughs> I, I think confusion is is the main thing there because it, it as a kid going back because going back and seeing these in theaters was a big deal for me yeah like when they re-released the special editions like i was lucky enough that like i got to go see all of these on the big screen which was very exciting but seeing this scene i was like i don't what like just generally like what is this because i as a kid i had no sense of it and i had i definitely didn't need it you yeah. know what i mean like, I wasn't clamoring for this scene. I was like, I just was like, I'm, I don't know what this is. Strange, strange stuff. Needless to say, I think the digital tinkering is going to is gonna be a hefty amount of dark side energy for both of us. And I think a lot of people in general. I would love at some point for George, Disney, whoever, to just accept that the original movie is a masterpiece that has flaws and release it so everyone can watch it. Yeah. And then just be okay with that and not have a problem with it. Because I, I think that's... Like, why can't the two coexist? You know what I mean? If you want to watch a special version, watch a special version. If you want to watch the original version, watch the original Put version. Put them on the same disc. The sell, like it's, sell, it for, sell it for a stupid amount of money like you do everything. Put out the Blu-ray of the despecialized original theatrical cuts and yeah. i will spend an inordinate amount of money on it i'll, I'll do it i, I, I want to see them recommend harmy's despecialized versions of the original trilogy enough if it's been many many years since you've seen an approximation of what the th theatrical cuts of these movies were it's it's time you look into it because uh, you're missing a lot there's a lot <laughs> of changes i mean i don't think i've seen it since i was a kid because the special editions when they came out, that became the the main version of it. Um, big dark yeah. side there, BC. Big dark side. And, you know, we can add this to everyone else who's ever complained about it. Han shot first, obviously. Why they went back yeah. and changed that, I think, is one of the dumbest things in the history of dumb things that have been done. You know why? Because when, <laughs> when Han... <laughs> I'm a poet uh, with words sometimes. <laughs> uh Han shooting first was is another iconic, memorable thing for me from my first viewing because I was like, that guy's scary and dangerous because he yeah. just blasts him away. And at, at that point, we have very little context about Han Solo and he just kills Greedo, which is objectively badass. Yeah. But as a, <laughs> as a kid, you're like, uh, what? <laughs> This doesn't fit my my sense of morality. I've been learning in Sunday school. Exactly. Um, but it, it gives you a much stronger sense of character. A lot, it creates a lot more mystery around the fact that they take that away. Again, we're not adding anything new to the conversation here. But If you're watching this movie with someone for the first time, and you don't get that moment of Han shooting first, and you have to watch the Jabba scene. It's just, it's all such a bummer. Like, to pause and be like, well, what you have to imagine is it's actually really cool because Han Solo just he kills him in cold blood. It's awesome. <laughs> nah, man. He kills him in cold blood, and then they get on a ship and run away together, and you're like, are heroes with this guy now? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, there's, we can... I don't want to nitpick and quibble too much over all of the digital stuff. It's dark side and it's bad. 
I do want to say one of my favorite things, and I hope it's real, is the picture of George Lucas wearing the Han Shot first shirt on the set of, <laughs> like, Indiana Jones 4 or whatever. It's very funny. <laughs> Headcanon says that's real. Um. <laughs> I, I do like George trolling the fans, even yeah. though that fan is me. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, where, where do you want to go next? You want to go light? You want to go dark? What you got? Uh, I want to go light. Um, I just want to talk about uh, Leia. Leia is badass in this movie, and it the movie ages so much better for having her as like the lead character versus I don't know another actor even. It's sure mm-hmm. the character is written to be strong, um, but uh, Carrie Fisher is just dope <laughs> in the role. Leia's great. It doesn't surprise me anymore, but I I am always kind of blown away by how strong she is in this role, like right from the top. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm going to stare down Darth Vader, who doesn't realize that that's his daughter, because at the time, I don't think George made that decision, but still. (laughs) Yeah, there were a lot of parts shifting around still in in Star Wars. But her performance, I think all of the performance, but... The ensemble cast is incredible. Um, I bring up Carrie Fisher and and Leia now, again, because I think this is her strongest uh, movie. It's the best movie for Leia. Um, mm-hmm. not always Carrie Fisher's fault <laughs> that, that movies aren't. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, Harrison Ford is like incandescent, man. That dude is just dripping in charisma. Yeah. Immediate movie star. Movie star. Yeah. It, and here's, there's one that I did want to give a, a specific shout out to in my notes is Alec Guinness. Yeah. For, for being the, the professional actor that he is. And committing to this role the way that he did sells he sells a lot of this movie just by being invested in it in a way that a professional actor who's shooting this movie could have easily just been like I gotta check out of this mentally because this is insane yeah Um, (laughs) like yeah he explains the force you know and that's such a crucial thing is that there's some gravitas there but it could have been easily thrown away it stood out so much to me this time watching watching him and luke in his little hut which i think that scene that thing has been chopped all sorts of ways oh yeah the editing that had to be done in that scene seems immense because that that is specifically a section that seemed like oh wow someone's doing some work here but through it all yeah. his per- his performance stands through all of those takes which means he was giving everything during this insane interior with luke where he's got to do so much exposition work and explain so much of the universe and he does it in such a way that it's so believable and you buy into the force like immediately because of him he yeah. like i i can't like i just thank alec guinness for that performance that he gives because it I think a lot of the foundation of Star Wars is built off of his dedication. It's incredible that you can watch that scene now with all the context that Obi-Wan has as a character now and be like, "Oh, I still buy the depth of emotion being enough." Like yeah. It, it, if it, whatever it is about, that he decided to do and invest in it, it it works as if he had thought about, you know, the the tragedy of of obi-wan's life for a long time uh, <laughs> he did the job that an actor 
does, you know, and he committed to this role that on paper, I would love to see the original script that he was given, you know uh-huh. what I mean? Yeah. Not the final shooting script, but the one that was like, here's, here's George Lucas's script for Star Wars. And the fact that he signed on and did it with gusto, shouts to, shouts to Alec Guinness. Um, well, let me, let, let me throw a dark side, uh, if that's all right, BC. Bring it on, baby. Um, I just think uh, not enough people get uh, get credit for this and get to share in the riches, you know? I'm sure most of these people aren't particularly hurting for money, but if, if, if I were to say uh, that they earned an appropriate portion of the <laughs> rewards of this, that would that would not be a true statement. Um, yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I mean, like... you know, Lucas only did because of his little merchandising play. <laughs> I mean, one of the I mean, one of the most savvy business moves of all time. Yeah, you have you have to just say like, hey, because he believed in this thing that at the time, I think rightfully, a lot of people were like, yeah, sure. Take the toys. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, yeah, whatever you want. But he he's a visionary, man. Like he saw he saw down the road the potential of this and believed in it and was like, All right, well I'm gonna be laughing all the way to the bank for this one. Uh and <laughs> totally did. Um but yeah, it's like it would be nice if some of the people who saved George's bacon reaped a little more of the rewards for sure yeah and there are there are a lot of people who were adequately rewarded i feel like you know obviously ben burt kept working became an editor in in the prequel trilogy um and that's uh i'll just squeeze that light side in Uh, again maybe the most iconic sound design in a movie ever uh just a a 20 what was he He was like 20 years old or something (laughs) fresh out of college and just uh did the best work anyone had ever done in sci-fi sound design. Go, go to the go, hop on the Disney Plus, kick on some of the extras from any of the Star Wars movies because there's a good chance you'll find a Ben Burt thing in there, which I've I've watched those too. It's great just seeing him like work, you know. It's it's amazing. Um, I remember as a little kid seeing him hit the telephone wire with a hammer yep. to make the laser sounds and be like, "Wow!" Yep. <laughs> Yeah, no, the, that's definitely in in there, and you're just like, the the mind of someone to be like, I just have a mind for sound and collecting sounds and being like a librarian of sounds uh, is pretty awesome. Speaking of sounds, maybe my number one contender for the McGregor Award, John Mother Effin Williams. Yeah, I this most recent rewatch. Because I was thinking about the the editing a lot and how kind of messy the story is. The music redeems every flaw that exists in this movie in a lo- and and then some and then elevates it to icon status. Yeah. This score is a freaking work of art. It's amazing. It's yeah, you, that scene you were just talking about, VC, in in Obi Wan's hut. I mean, that's an incredible scene, but it really is the force the force uh, theme sneaking in, where you're like, oh wow, <laughs> like yeah. something, something's yeah. happening here. <laughs> yeah, but like he's he's underscoring a good performance. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and and that's when that's when and that's why I think the force theme is 
probably my favorite Star Wars piece of music um, is that. But like when when he's able to underscore performance is amazing. But even when he has to do the heavy lifting of like, but like when he comes in as like John Williams setting the scene for you, like he gives he gives the film permission to be as big as it is with the sound, you know, he yeah, gives the yeah. audience permission to buy in so fully to what they're watching because of that sound. And again, that's collaboration too. That's I'm sure that's him and George having a lot of conversation. But in terms of the theory and sitting down and writing and composing, I got it. I mean, I have to tip my cap to John Williams for just absolutely crushing the the music to this movie. I think you take that wheel off, the whole thing falls apart. I think you take any of the wheels off, it's all coming down. <laughs> you it's know, a, it's a it's a house of cards, man. <laughs> it really is a house of cards, and that's the thing that I I think I really loved about watching it this this last time was like that it is a house of cards that it. That it's not some behemoth of millions of dollars of a budget. That it was artists fighting for their lives to make something work. (laughs) And the fact that it did and it changed cinema and the world is... Is a is amazing. Yeah, man. What 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 an incredible soundtrack. Uh, Big big light side. I've already talked about the VFX a little bit, I feel like. I'll go ahead and toss that out there. Obviously, the the effects team that created all this, you know, this stuff that made spaceships look cool and fast for the first time, like, really just uh, wild that some some people in a warehouse shooting stuff around on cameras or, or, or shooting cameras on wires with computers, you know, Syncing stuff up with computers for the first time. Uh, we're using computers here. <laughs> we're using computers. Yeah, I mean, it, an, another part of the the legacy of Lucasfilm is like we're gonna push cinema technology. I think that can't be lost on this movie. And it like you, you going back to those reviews that we read. They're like, this thing is a miracle. It's a marvel. It's a wonder. Like, we take that for granted. I think we can take it for granted now, going back and watching, be like, yeah, we've got CGI that can do all this stuff. This did not exist. This visual language did not exist until Star Wars was like, we're going to create it. And it was still the best thing I'd ever seen when I (laughs) saw it for the first time. You know, like, it's very funny to go from the cantina scene, which could feel a little bit low budget, if anything does. To then watching that shot of like the Falcon coming into the Death Star from the inside where it's like the computerized like tracking shot and you're like, wow, this looks better than anything now. It's 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 so true. And it's such a good juxtaposition you bring up, too, because the cantina is just a wild puppet party (laughs) or Aunt Beru (laughs) and and Uncle Owen like in their outfits like just. (laughs) Hi, well, we're uh, from. Of course, the whole cast is like, "Hello, we're from the seventies." <laughs> Nothing is more seventies than Aunt Brew's costume, and I stand it. I love it <laughs> yeah. so much. I yeah, love it. Looked that familiar costume. to me. I was like, "Oh yeah, it's like grandmother." <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's that is. I saw that picture hanging on my grandma's wall of her in the seventies. <laughs> It was shot at a Sears. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definite, definite light side. Baru's costume for me. <laughs> definite light side. I just want to throw some dark side energy on incest real quick. Uh-huh. We here at the Cargo Bay 
do not condone incest. And as such, I cannot stand behind uh, the story point that Luke is definitely horny for his sister. Uh, speak for yourself, BC. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more open-minded over here. <laughs> it's the 21st century, man. Come on. <laughs> Can you imagine Star Wars without the incest? It'd be worse. It'd be worse. <laughs> It'd be less compelling. <laughs> There's our hot take that we've been looking for. <laughs> Listen, Star Wars less, it's on purpose. He's pushing the envelope. You people just aren't ready to accept love. <laughs> it is a bummer going back and watching, you know, the first the first two movies and uh, thinking, man, it was really fun when it was like, ah, oh, that, that kiss and this love triangle is like all kind of fun stuff and now it's just like ugh. <laughs> i still remember being very confused by that story beat in return of the jedi because i was of the mind that like oh the hero gets the girl uh -huh. but the girl's his sister <laughs> that way you can play at home <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know if you've seen that fan film. Uh, I used to watch all the fan films when they came out, or all the, the bigger ones. And there's one that's about George Lucas in college, you know, falling in love, and the whole thing's just, like, slowly revealed that she's his sister. Amazing. <laughs> like, uh, but it's well played, you know? <laughs> that's very funny. Yeah. Dark Side. I'll dark leave my my last dark side here, BC, which is just like it could not have been fun to be an extra on this movie. Uh, by all accounts I have read, it was miserable working in the desert. There's a lot of I'm sure working conditions that weren't great, and also I think about those poor elephants sometimes because I love the banthas, but man, it could not have been fun to be an elephant in Tunisia with a costume on. Or maybe they shot the elephant stuff in Death Valley. I don't know. <laughs> in any case. Not pleasant either way, um, <laughs> yeah. I would say. Yeah, uh, for all of the ragtag fun that it is, those are there are some pretty terrible working conditions, which I think kind of continues into Empire, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Well, uh, they did get... shoot in the real snow. <laughs> yeah, in the actual freezing tundra. Um, I've got a, here's another one, and this stands out to me on the, as a dark side. A lot of white people. <laughs> yeah. A lot of white people. <laughs> Have you seen uh, that Carl Sagan interview? Uh -uh. From the time? I think he's... No. I can't remember what show he's on. He's just on a talk show. And they ask him about Star Wars. It's just come out. And he's basically like, I don't like it at all. Uh, it's amazing <laughs> to me that, you know, you go into this universe where you've got all these manner of crazy space aliens. You have a big you know, bear with a bandolier or whatever, and there's not a single black person in space. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, it's like, good, good call there, uh, Sagan, or good call out. Good on Sagan for calling it out, at least. Yeah. No, it, and it's so true. It's like, oh, you've got all these disparate, wild-looking creatures and white people. <laughs> and only white people. <laughs> and only white people. Like, the final shot of the celebration, <laughs> yeah. the medal ceremony... Like it's like a clan rally in there. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just like they couldn't find a single black person to uh, anyone any representation for any other culture than a bunch of white British people and a few <laughs> Americans. You're like, well, I mean, must not they clearly were not trying very hard. They um, 
They so. did shoot in England inside of their studio system, uh, so that's part of it. But yeah, I mean, there's there's no real excuse. It's just obviously, you know, a, a, a movie made by a white man who was, you know, mostly thinking about white people. <laughs> it was uh, a yeah. lot of movies from this period are. So I, I'm glad Star Wars is moving away from, from that. I am so glad about that. And it also is is really helpful in identifying uh, a subsection of Star Wars fans who I really hate too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because when they start complaining about it, I'm like, I never have to concern myself with your opinion about anything ever again. <laughs> so thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's a definite dark side uh VC. I've got one more light side here. I mean, I could go on forever and ever yeah, and ever and ever. I say, well, let's let's finish on the light. Let's let's go to the light side. I'm gonna squeeze in another one right now. Used future is the best future. Um, and then also, I love that this movie gives you no context, really. You know, aside from little nuggets of exposition that lead you to ask more questions, um, than it actually fills in. This is the way I like my sci-fi to be. Throw me, and fantasy as well, throw me into the world and make me feel like I need to ask questions. You know, just like, where are, what, what, who, whoa, what's that over there? Um, and, and that, you know, 3PO R2 in, intro is just a great, a great way <laughs> into the universe of like, what is going on? I love it. I think that point is so well taken and it, because there was a time when I hadn't watched this movie for a while, and then I got you the the Blu-rays yeah. and watched them at the old rodeo house. And I remember watching this with you, and being struck by how the beginning of this movie, like how much space is allowed at the beginning of this movie, right? So like you get you get the boarding stuff, and then you get the pod being shot down on this planet, and you get droids wandering in the desert. There's very little dialogue happening for a good portion of this movie. And I freaking love it because it establishes like tone and atmosphere in a way that's not like, here's exactly what's going on. It gives yeah. you the feeling of something and it lets you discover that for yourself without being told how you should feel about that thing. Which is my favorite kind of artistic endeavor where it invites you into the creative process of using your imagination and getting to, to populate this world with your own thoughts and feelings without being told what you should think and feel about something. It's just like, here's, here's the world. Explore it with these people who are with people with these droids who are also exploring <laughs> the world with you. Like they're almost like avatars in that sense that you're going through and discovering these places and these things. And it's a perfect way to do it. I don't think it's an obvious way to start a movie. Obviously, it wasn't for Lucas because he, <laughs> he wanted to go to exposition world. Like, this is such a better choice to just throw you in the deep end, not tell you anything. And then the mystery unfolds as you go along. But you get a, a good chunk of time, like a surprising amount of time to just like be an imaginative collaborator as an audience member it's a great world to observe man, oh, man. Uh, like <laughs> i love it I so love much it. cool stuff going on i love it um and with that you know we balance the force obviously um clearly we tread right down the middle <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah as as we profess our love for this movie um yeah a job well done by us for for being um so decisive on both our light and dark sides <laughs> 
Did we did we do it? Do you think we balanced it? Yeah, think I think the it? forces as balanced as it's going to get, BC, because I got a lot more to say, but it may yeah. lean heavily on one side. Yeah, I um, yeah, again, we could wax poetic about all of the minutia of this movie, and we didn't even really talk about Mark Hamill, who's fantastic. No, yeah, um, he's amazing. Yeah, the, the 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 trio, the ensemble cast. I mean, man, they're it's amazing to watch them in the cockpit of the Falcon or wherever they are and be like, this must've seemed ridiculous. And this is awesome. I mean, I could, I could just, I'll the, the fact that like um, Harrison Ford was just like, I'm coming in to read other actors, you know what I mean? And then really became Han Solo in that process because, you know, he talks about it. It was like, I had to explain to people what was going on. Because they were coming in to read this stuff and I had to be like, here's what's happening because what you've been given is insane dialogue for an actor to come audition for. So like he he understood the story so much because he was explaining it to people and and doing these scenes over and over again and becoming the character that by the time it was like, hey, will you just let me audition for this? I was like, of course, this is the guy, you know? Yeah. He's, yeah, I can't imagine watching watching other people's tapes compared to his at that point. No. And as much as he would never admit it now, uh, we watched that interview last night from shortly after the movie came out. He he obviously was pretty invested, or at least pretended to be invested in the character and the story. And, you know, the... he will, you know, they're all young, struggling actors. He He's doing the work that a lot of that a lot of movie actors have to do which is to sell themselves and sell the movie because that's yeah inherently part of the job and he does i had never seen him sell it like that before he's like man why don't you sell me a car right now harrison ford <laughs> yeah get it man hi i actually am a serious actor thinking very seriously about this please hire me on other movies <laughs> Please. Hey, do you want to be in Blade Runner and Indiana Jones? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, yeah. So anyway, the force has been balanced. We did it. We did, we did it. it. It's balanced. So everyone celebrate. Um, and now it's time for the final judgments. That's right. Uh, importantly, we we decide every episode whether we are going to uh, send the movie to the trash compactor, never deal with it again. Sell it to the Jawa for scraps and bits, or keep it in the cargo hold forever. No surprise here, folks. I say, and I'm just going to confer with you, probably keep this one in the cargo hold forever. CBC, I'm tempted to sell part of it for scrap, all that Whoa! digital BS. Get it out of here. I hate it. I truly hate it. But no, the whole thing's going in the cargo the cargo hold. Uh, yeah. It's the only version publicly available. We got to keep that one in the cargo hold. Uh, it is it is precious to me. If anything, you can just close your eyes at several <laughs> establishing shots, you know, because there's very little bearing that they have. Yeah, it's really like, the the X-wing stuff that hurts my my spirit the most, man. It really bothers me. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get over it. Smashed it, nailed it, stayed in the hold. Next That's up, right. and I I mentioned this earlier, maybe maybe one of the most hotly contested Ewan McGregor awards of all time. Yeah, a lot of a lot of candidates here. A lot yeah. of candidates. Where, where's your head at? Who, who's in your Who's in the running right now for you? Well, BC, um, Carrie, Carrie Fisher comes to mind again because I think if there's a movie to give it to her, this is this is a time. Um, but also, you know, I got 
you got John Williams, Ben Burt, you got you got Lucas himself. You, you got um, who I'm going to give my award to, which is Ralph McQuarrie, um, oh. because that that visual design and the the used future aesthetic reached and grabbed me before anything else did. You know, before I ever saw the movie, actually. I was like, this X-Wing is the coolest thing I have ever seen, period, the end. Um, so that's that's going to be my my award going to Ralph McQuarrie, R.I.P. Great, great shout, great choice. Um, I, 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 I think I have to stick with my gut and, and give it to John Williams. I almost thought about proposing that we rename it to the John Williams Award. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah that might be the original trilogy equivalent yeah um, because he's he's actually throughout all of these movies as opposed to our wonderful ewan mcgregor um but yeah i i would go john williams um just because uh, in the editing team i I'm but i mean i think if we made a, a ralph mcquarrie slideshow with john williams music that's cool. about the best we're gonna get out of two single people <laughs> who worked on this movie you know I'll watch that. I, I would watch that slideshow and be entertained and <laughs> yeah. moved by it because of the music. So two of the most important figures in Star Wars history. It's it's a it's tough for us not to give it to George, but hey, you yeah. know. Sorry, George. Um, <laughs> you needed a lot of help and the money was reward enough for you. So yeah. <laughs> I think I think George will be fine without receiving the cargo base prestigious Ewan McGregor Award. So congratulations to both John Williams and uh, Ralph McQuarrie. And now, the last thing we do, as we are watching these Star Wars movies, we are ranking them. We are putting them in order of our our favorite to our not-as-favorite uh, films in the franchise. So after watching Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, where, where, where are your rankings standing? Starting from my favorite, uh, we've got Episode Four. Then we have episode three, episode two, Rogue One. Then we have episode one, Solo. Good ranking system. I'll go. I'll go bottom to top just for uh, you know. Yeah, bottom. mix it up. Mix it up. Uh, on the bottom, Solo. Everyone, be sure to check out our Solo podcast. Yeah, we weren't. We we balance the force. We we don't hate Solo. No, we don't, and I th- I think we actually did a pretty good job of balancing the force on that one. Yeah. Um. So I'm gonna go solo, and then up to Attack of the Clones, followed by Phantom Menace, Rogue One, Revenge of the Sith, and atop my list now, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Beautiful. And again, those are our personal, not critical rankings. No, they are not. I think I would bump Rogue One up higher if it were my critical yeah. rankings. Same. Same here. Yep. But wow, man, BC, what an amazing movie there. Uh, Glad we finally got to talk about it. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Maybe we'll talk about the despecialized version. That would Um, be lovely, yeah. But what do we got coming up? Um, We're just about to record our episode of Hobby Talk, which we'll release before this because we put those Hobby Talks out ASAP so you can get your Star Wars Tops trading card news as soon as it's uh, coming out. Breaking news. Top Star Wars. Hey, nice. Thanks. That's a good sound bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, so thank you for tuning in for the Cargo Bay official episode uh, reaction to Star Wars A New Hope. 
Uh, we certainly do appreciate you checking it out. And uh, be sure to check out Hobby Talk. Like and follow us on every social media platform you can find. Except for um, Instagram, <laughs> TikTok, and... Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> oh, the, the big three. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note... We'll see y'all later. <laughs> yeah, get us out of here, PBDO. Bye forever. Bye.